Welcome to Horty Springer's Health Law Expressions Podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry Cassell. And I'm Hala Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case. For reasons that we hope will become apparent by the end of today's podcast, the title of today's podcast is Fraud Will Cost You Your Yellow Submarine. So for today's case, we will return to the great state of California to discuss one of their most recent settlements. And I have to say, Henry, we have read through a lot of material for episodes before, but not until this one have I read something that made me say, ooh, that's icky. And it's one thing to be doing unnecessary urine tests on someone. You know, they're useless, they're a waste of time and money, and we all agree that type of fraud is bad. But this one went above and beyond that, doing surgical procedures that were not only unnecessary but very painful, skipping vital screening steps, and even instructing providers to decrease pain medication if they wouldn't consent to certain fraudulent procedures. Just all around, I really feel like this case, while certainly not the most expensive one we've seen yet, took fraud to the extreme. Yeah, we often hear the words fraud and abuse, but did you ever wonder what they actually mean? Regardless of how the term fraud and abuse may be defined in the Social Security Act and the regulations that have been promulgated there too, and no matter what government attorneys, regulators, and politicians mean when they utter the phrase fraud and abuse, the definition that has struck with me for all these years was, was once told to me many years ago by a speaker at the American Health Lawyers Association Conference, who was an ex-DOJ or OIG lawyer, I don't remember which, but I do remember that he said that fraud was billing the government for something you didn't do or that the patient didn't need. Abuse is pretty much anything else that the government doesn't like and thinks takes advantage of their billing rules, but there's no specific law or regulation prohibiting it. Today's case is the rare case that is both fraud and abuse. You don't see that very often. And when we see this kind of greed and abuse of the trust in which the Medicare, or in this case Medicaid, Medi-Cal to be precise, payment system is based, we feel the need to call it out. The star of today's podcast is Dr. Francis Lagatuta, a physical medicine and rehabilitation physician. He is, or more accurately by now was, the owner and operator of roughly 27 clinics, five ambulatory surgical centers, and a laboratory. Most of these facilities were based in California, but there was some connection to Washington State as well. According to the KETAM complaint, based on the number of Medicare and Medicaid claims Dr. Lagatuda was submitting to the government, he was one of the nation's busiest physicians. He reportedly was personally performing tens of thousands of procedures for thousands of patients every year, and Dr. Lagatuda was a top biller in the country for several procedures. That made Dr. Lagatuda a member of a very exclusive club that most physicians don't ever want to join. If you are a member of this club, you are either incredibly busy, so busy you're probably facing burnout, you have a number of non-physician practitioners working for you, or, as we'll see here, you're committing fraud. A good example of how this all pans out was in 2009, the OIG wanted to conduct a study of incident to billing, 
which can only occur in a physician's office and requires a physician to personally perform the initial service, but thereafter services that a non-physician practitioner is licensed and qualified to perform may be performed by the non-physician practitioner under the direct supervision of a physician. Direct supervision does not require the phys physician to see the patient, but does require the physician to be present in the office suite immediately available while the non-physician practitioner is seeing the patient. If all these requirements of the incident to rule are present, then the physician can submit a bill to Medicare or Medicaid for the incident to service in the same manner as if the physician had performed the service personally. Since there is no modifier indicator that can be used to distinguish incident two claims from one personally performed by the physician, the OIG had to figure out a way to study incident two billing. To do this, in the first quarter of the previous year, OIG used the time associated with E&M codes to determine how many hours each day each physician identified in their sample billed Medicare. The IG identified 221 physicians who billed more than 24 hours in a day and requested that these physicians identify who performed each service. The OIG also requested, and if you could see me, you would see that I'm, using, I'm putting quotes around the word requested, that the physicians admit all relevant credentials from the non-physician practitioners who the physician identified. For reasons that become apparent, You'll see why I put those quotations marks around the words the OIG requested. The OIG reasoned that the only way a physician can bill more than 24 hours a day is either fraud or the, through the use of instant tube billing. True to form, OIG found both types of physicians represented in this group. OIG first stated that four of the 221 physicians in their sample were part of an active investigation. So we removed them from the final sample. So the fraudsters were dealt with separately. The OIG also identified 15 physicians who did not respond to the OIG's request for information. That's never a good idea. In another footnote, the OIG stated that we will take appropriate action and may include referring the, these physicians to CMS or the OIG's Office of Investigations. So a request for information from the OIG is never really a request. They don't go away. They will get the information one way or the other, so you're much better off cooperating with them. The OIG then audited the other physicians in their sample to see if they were following the incident two rules and if the non-physician practitioners who actually performed the service was performing a service they were licensed and qualified to perform. Again, OIG found that most of the physicians in their study followed the incident two rules, but they had to withstand an audit. However, OIG also found a number of physicians in this study who either did not follow the incident two rules, or even if they technically complied with the requirements of the rule, they either used unlicensed providers or permitted non-physician providers to act beyond the scope of their license. Any claims like this that were not strictly in compliance with the incident two rules were considered to be an overpayment, and the OIG sought recruitment of that overpayment. So. All this cost and aggravation because this group of physicians belong to an elite club of physicians who build more than 24 hours a day. The target that is placed on your practice is why you never want to be a top biller for anything. But if you find yourself in this rarefied air, please be sure to keep good records evidencing full compliance with all applicable billing rules and be ready for an audit.
That was not Dr. Lagatuda. Even though he was described in the complaint as being one of the busiest physicians in the country for three procedures or tests, skin biopsies, spinal cord stimulation surgeries, and urine tests, Dr. Legatuda was essentially waving a red flag in front of the bull that is the DOJ and yelling at the top of his lungs, audit me, which they did with a vengeance. Hila, how'd that turn out? Well, not so well, to say the least, Henry. So let's start with skin biopsies. Just as some background to the procedures that were involved here, there's a test known as an epidermal nerve fiber density test. We're just going to call it an ENFD test. And ENFD testing involves performing biopsies or punch biopsies of skin. The skin samples from the biopsy are then analyzed in a lab to measure small fiber neuropathy, a disease that causes the burning pain with numbness and tingling in the feet and then lower extremities. There's also a test called electromyography, or EMG, that measures muscle muscle response to electrical activity in response to a nerve stimulation of that muscle. And hey, look, in the complaint, didn't they show a picture of the ENFD and and the puncture that it makes in a patient's leg? Yes, Henry, and to say the least, it looks unpleasant. So in early 2016, Dr. Lagatuda created a protocol for LAG's medical providers that outlined when and how to conduct medical procedures on all their patients. Now, this protocol was a MAP protocol that was used to assess each patient's metabolic, anatomic, and physiological status and trigger order certain procedures. One of these protocols triggered the ordering of an EMG or ENFD test if a patient answered yes to any neuropathy questions that were asked as part of the initial questionnaire and paperwork that patients are required to fill out at his office. And if a patient answered yes to any of the questions, a non-medical clerical employee would order the EMG or ENFD test, schedule the patient, and call the various clinic managers to tell them that they needed to call a patient and tell them to come in for the scheduled appointment. And these neuropathy questions weren't so highly specialized that they would weed out most people. They were questions like, do you have skin dryness in the upper or lower extremities? And do you have dizziness when standing up? So, you know, if we've all filled out this paperwork before an appointment, and if you're an overthinker like me, imagine thinking, yeah, uh, I guess I get dizzy on occasion when I stand up. So you check yes, and then suddenly you're automatically scheduled for a biopsy. It's just insane. And if you think, oh, this was just standard and they were screening patients, the government found that around the time the protocol was implemented, Dr. Lagatuda emailed LAG's medical COO and stated that under the protocol, most of the patients would need a punch biopsy and, quote, once a diagnosis of small fiber neuropathy is made, a battery of tests can be done, end quote. Notice that there was no mention of medical necessity or a medical reason why the patient needed the test. Rather, the message was sent was, perform these tests so we can bill even more. And Dr. Lagatuda also stated in an email to LAG's medical execs and managers that every provider does two to three punch biopsies a day and instructed that even if they're not scheduled, that they need to look at the current schedule and make sure two or four biopsies are done, especially if they're Medicare patients. LAG's medical's COO said to providers that for our protocols, this is like getting a flu shot for us. And in early 2018, a monthly report stated that Team Neuro had a goal of performing 250 biopsies per week. And on top of that, Dr. Lagatuda created what he named an artificial intelligence team of non-provider staff who were required to order at least 150 skin biopsies per week 
for patients without the consent of the patient's treating providers at LAGS Medical. Dr. Lagatuda said that if LAGS medical providers did not order biopsies for their own patients, then the AI team would order biopsies for them automatically. And the AI team order biopsies under Dr. Lagatuda's names, and then they change the order date of the biopsy to the patient's last established office visit. The patient's treating medical provider then decided at the time of the next visit whether to perform the biopsy. But the kicker here was they could not cancel the order without Dr. Lagatuda's approval. And Lagatuda stated that only I can cancel procedures, no one else. And some LAGS medical providers obviously objected to performing skin biopsies and asked the AI to stop inputting orders for biopsies for their own patients. But despite these objections, Dr. Lagatuda and other LAGS medical providers continued to perform biopsies. And Dr. Lagatuda told LAGS medical providers to resign if they refused to perform skin biopsies. So let's see. We have quotas of services that need to be provided, whether they're medically necessary or not, mm-hmm. tests performed by at the order of Dr. Lagatuda, who never saw the patient, even over the objection of the treating physician. So that's where we are at this point, right? Yep. So if that wasn't enough, according to LAG's medical protocol, LAG's medical providers were instructed to immediately start a tapering program for patients on opioid medication who do not consent to undergo skin biopsies. When a patient refused the skin biopsies, LAG medical staff read from a written script stating that the patient's provider will have no other choice but to possibly adjust your treatment, which unfortunately may include reducing the amount of medication you are receiving and continue over the next several months to continue to taper down your medication until a solution can be found. The patient was also asked to sign a against medical advice form informing them that the possible medical consequences of not undergoing a skin biopsy. The form stated a refusal to undergo the recommended biopsy may lead to a decrease or stop in opioid therapy and arrhythmic heart changes that can cause a heart attack or sudden death, among other medical consequences. Now, I have to tell you, I've been doing this a long time. If you ever want to get the DOJ's criminal division interested in you, adopt a policy that punishes or threatens a patient to withhold medically necessary care just so you can make money from a medically unnecessary but lucrative test or procedure. DOJ has no sympathy for a physician who so crassly places money over a patient's health. But that's not all we're dealing with. Here, once samples from the ENFD test are retrieved, results must be interpreted by a trained pathologist or neurologist. So you would think that's what happened here. But like so many other aspects of this saga, if you thought that, you'd be wrong. So in April 2018, LAGS Medical terminated a contract with a pathologist because that pathologist had the temerity to refuse a request by LAGS Medical to approve skin biopsy results without interpreting them himself. Imagine the nerve of that guy. So what did Dr. Lagatuda do? Did he find a pathologist who would actually review things? No. He found, hired another pathologist to be the director of the lab. Lagatuda paid this pathologist approximately $20,000 per month for what Dr. Lagatuda called an insurance policy. 
essentially to ensure that he had the name of a properly credentialed physician for ENFD tests for which Lags was billing almost $500,000 per month. Now, for 20 grand a month, you'd think that this pathologist would at least look at the slides. <laughs> but again, you'd be wrong. So who actually reviewed the biopsies? Well, that varied over the years, but included a lab tech who did not meet the minimum qualifications necessary to read the NFD slides, a former LAGS medical executive's wife who was a respiratory therapist, at least she had some medical training, <laughs> certainly not certified to review the slides, who would count the visible nerve ends, fibers in the skin biopsy, and then... <laughs> Just to make matters worse, one of Dr. Lagatuda's relatives who had no formal medical training at all. None of these people was even close to being a pathologist. The LAG's medical protocol also stated that providers were required to repeat biopsies on some patients each year to determine if their illness had progressed or improved, which did nothing to further the patient's care, but did add more medically unnecessary testing. Now, Chutzpah is a Jewish term that is best defined by a person who kills his parents and then begs for the mercy of the court because he's an orphan. Here, Dr. Lagatuna and Lag's medical definition of chutzpah is not even pausing the billing in this manner, even after Medicare and Medicaid insurance providers had notified him that they had determined the Lag's medical claims for skin biopsies were medically unnecessary and excessive. Now, Henry, it should come as no surprise that this was not their only scam. So between 2018 and 2021, Lagatuda and Lags Medical also performed medically unnecessary surgeries to implant spinal cord stimulators. And I don't want to give it away, but this type of surgery is an invasive surgery. And it's used as a last resort to treat chronic pain by implanting an SCS implant that applies a low-voltage electrical pulse to nerve fibers in the spinal cord. Now, according to Medicare guidelines, before you receive this type of uh, surgery, patients have to undergo conservative therapies such as physical therapy, they have to get injections, psychosocial therapy, and cognitive therapy. In addition, patients must be evaluated to determine whether they have any psychological disorders that may lead to a poor response to the surgery. But as you can imagine, this is not what happened. So Dr. Lagatuda paid a psychiatrist three grand a month, much less than the 20 grand he was paying the pathologist, to attest to Medicare and Medicaid that they had performed a necessary psychological evaluation on each patient prior to receiving the surgery, and that the patient didn't have any pre-existing psychological or active substance abuse disorders that would adversely affect their response to the surgery. But Lagatuda and Lags Medical knew that the psychiatrist did not perform in-person psychological evaluations of any patients and ignored indications that many patients actually suffered from psychological or substance use disorders before receiving spinal cord stimulation surgery. And they were even able to point out one example where a social worker at Lags Medical recommended that a young patient definitely should not receive an SCS surgery because the patient had bipolar disorder, they already had an SCS procedure which failed, and the patient suffered from auditory and visual hallucinations. Yet, this paid psychiatrist signed a letter stating that the patient had no underlying, underlying psychological conditions which could adversely affect the outcome of this procedure. And as you can imagine, the procedure did not improve the patient's chronic pain at all. So I guess Legatuda got a lot for his three grand a month. Sure did, Henry. <laughs> so, and if this wasn't enough, 
From 2017 to 2021, Dr. Lagatuda and Lags Medical performed medically unnecessary definitive urine drug testing, which identifies the concentration of specific medication, illicit substances, and metabolites in urine samples. Blanket orders of urine drug testing, identical orders for all patients without regard to each patient's individualized medical necessity for the test, are not covered by Medicare. But Dr. Lagatuda and Lags Medical acknowledge that they made identical orders of urine drug tests for all patients to be tested every four months and ordered the maximum number of drug panels for each patient. Lags Medical CEOs stated to Lagatuda that performing urine tests on all patients should be a big moneymaker and called it Operation Go 483. When a new consultant for Lags Medical told Lagatuda that it was medically unnecessary but also wasteful to order ma the maximum number of drug panels for each patient, Lagatuda directed a Lags Medical executive not to contract with that consultant again because, and we quote, she might report us for anything, end of quote. And I know you're all wondering, how in the world did they get caught? They were so careful. Uh, so I'm sure you could guess that a lot of employees were very suspicious of what was going on. So it should come as no surprise to you that in 2019, a key TAM suit, a.k.a. a whistleblower lawsuit, was filed by Lags Medical's former operations director and marketing director. And while the United States investigated the key TAM suit and decided to intervene, their suspicions grew. And around June 2020, CMS actually suspended and withheld Medicare payments to Lags Medical. And by May 2021, Medi-Cal had temporarily suspended and deactivated Dr. Lagatuda and Lags Medical. So Dr. Lagatuda settled with the government for nearly $11.4 million. The funds to be allocated among a handful of parties, each in proportion to losses faced due to the alleged fraudulent scheme. The United States will receive around $8.5 million, California over $2.7 million, Oregon, who Dr. Lagatuda also defrauded, will receive a little over $130,000. The settlement amount was based on Lagatuda and Lag's medical ability to pay and reportedly includes the proceeds from Dr. Lagatuda's sale of a remotely operated underwater vehicle that we're referring to as his yellow submarine. Since this is a Kitam suit, we should also mention that as part of the settlement, the Kitam relator will receive approximately $2.1 million. Dr. Lagatuna will also be excluded from participation in Medicare, Medicaid, and all other federal health programs for five years. Just so there was no misunderstanding as what this exclusion means, the settlement agreement went into a lot more detail than we normally see to, and specifically stated that federal health care programs shall not pay anyone for items or services, including administrative and management services, furnished, ordered, or prescribed by Dr. Lagatuna in any capacity. The settlement agreement also specifically states that the prohibition of, this prohibition applies to any individual or entity that employs or contracts with Dr. Lagatuda, including, and we quote, any hospital or other provider where Dr. Lagatuda provides services, and the exclusion applies regardless of who submits the claim or other request for payment. End of quote. This is why most medical staff bylaws state that exclusion from federal health care programs is grounds for automatic relinquishment of medical staff appointment and clinical privileges. 
The settlement agreement then repeats the exclusion rules by reminding Dr. Lagatuda that reinstatement to a federal health care program is not automatic. They don't state this, but you remain excluded until you are specifically readmitted. And if he wants to be reinstated, he must submit a request for reinstatement to the OIG no later, no earlier than 90 days prior to the expiration of the five-year exclusion period. They also reminded Dr. Lagatuna that he cannot get around this exclusion by obtaining a license in another state or by a obtaining a provider number from a Medicare contractor, state agency, or a federal health care program. Gee, Hala, I wonder why they had to remind him that there are no ways around the exclusion. Now, as of the taping of this episode, Dr. Lagatuda still possesses a current unrestricted medical license in California. However, we would not be surprised if there's a change in his license status in the not-too-distant future. If you want to learn more about compliance with the False Claims Act, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the Stark Law, amendments to those regulations, and much, much more, consider joining Dan Mulholland, myself, and our newest faculty member, Hela, in Phoenix, November 16th to 18th, 2023, for our next seminar. In the interim, be sure to check the Ordy Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health Law Express as well as for more information about new and upcoming opportunities on this and many other health law-related topics. Thanks for listening and tune into the next edition of the Kickback Chronicles so you can keep learning from the misfortune of others.